we are. Hey, uh, Victoria Raider, welcome to the Edge broadcast. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be matching your gold mic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're all gold. We're all golded over here, man. This is golden radio voice of Daniel Lott on the Edge broadcast. But hey, welcome to the show. And you know, I'm I'm really interested in talking to you tonight. Really, for I have an alternative uh, alternative reason to as well. Besides, we're talking about reprogramming our subconscious for success and and the, and the things, the great things that have happened to you and. Uh, how that you are trying to help others realize their dreams. Also, kind of, you're you're uh, you, were you born in Ukraine? Yeah, born, went to school, grew up, family, been killed. Anything you want to know, my friend. Open book, lots of tears, lots of uh, joy, whatever you need to know. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, Victoria, welcome welcome to the show. So, um, you didn't start off very successful. I, I understand you you sort of. Did you just sort of fall into success, or how did you get all of the, the the things to move in your life to get you into a position of success? You know, d- define start. We all start successful, and we're born, and sky's the limit, and then we're programmed for failure. So we all start successful, actually. Mm. <laughs> it's what happens between the actual start as being born and then the ability to overcome enough uh, societal norms or well-meaning parents that you just should settle down and not strive as hard because you know stay stay safe uh, fly low you know if you can't fly low try to crawl low and um, so in my case um, I had an incredible I had two incredible role models in my parents Um, you know I was born into society Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union where if you went against anything that the main narrative of the party was, you were doomed to be unsuccessful. Mm. And so, um, you know, you, you just asked such an interesting question, because in 1986, uh, when Chernobyl happened, the nuclear disaster, you know, that's considered mm, the actual second that. nuclear disaster. Yep. Mm-hmm. My dad was the editor-in-chief of one of the major newspapers, and he was sent to go and report that everything was well two days after the disaster. Mm-hmm. So he flew to Chernobyl. He came back and uh, with what we now understand was minor radiation poisoning. He was throwing up for quite a few days. Mm-hmm. And then he refused to report that it was safe. And so we went from a family with very um, high social recognition where, you know, my parents knew the president and all of that, to me and my mom sharing a pair of boots over one winter because we couldn't mm-hmm. afford the second pair. Wow. And so it's how you define success. For me, watching my dad do that was the beginning of success in my life. I just watched that and I said, this So, is it. So did he risk being thrown in jail or anything? Or You know, um, yes and no. At that time, we're talking about five, six years before the Iron Curtain falls, so things were not nearly as strict. And there was no unemployment, you know, a homelessness. Uh, so the social regime does not allow for such shame. And so he knew that he wouldn't be, you know, you, you would not be fired. You would be put in jail. But he was a social figure enough that they couldn't commit that because he reported openly that there was radiation leak. And so it was kind of a tricky situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen. Um, and then... Uh, uh, you know, I remember him, you know, I remember overhearing, I was 11 at a time, you know, and I was, uh, I remember overhearing my mom and my dad talking and, uh, 
and there was a lot of fear about taking that stand. Um, and I remember my mom saying, you know, well, we got each other. What else do we need in this life? We've got family. We've got each other. And so for me, struggling through failures of, you know, um, of business or life or receiving accolades of business of life, I always come back to, you know, what's my center? This was my family center, my kids, my pets, my husband. That's my center. Everything else is temporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> So how did you end up coming to the United States? The first time I came here, my friend was going through a very hard time. Uh, this is when the Soviet Union fell apart. 1992, Ukraine became independent. And her mom married an American. And when she immigrated here to be with her mom, she had such a, a harsh culture shock that she became severely anorexic. And so her mom invited me to come and help her. I did that and polished my English quite a bit, went back to go to school in Ukraine. And two years later, met my husband-to-be, who happens to be an American. So we dated for two years, and I had the most non-romantic proposal. He said, you know, honey, it's cheaper for me to marry you than it is to come visiting you in Ukraine. (laughs) Okay. There you have it. (laughs) All right. So did you have dreams of success coming to America, or was it a love interest, or was it both? Huh. I will have to think about that question. Um, well, was was being successful? I think. Working, I think. No, I understand the question. Um, okay. I think it was less of a. I think it was less of seeking an opportunity and more realizing it. Um, Dan, you know, it was. I was 18 when I immigrated, mm-hmm. uh, and so I was 20 when I got married, and. Uh, I don't think I appreciated the country for everything that it had to offer. So it really was love. But the realization of freedom and opportunity was more of a an opening, you know, and, and falling into that fully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I fully appreciated the gift that I was receiving mm-hmm. at, at a time. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't know if you looked at our website, but we have a poll there, uh, and it has to do with people's dreams. It says, have... Have your dreams come true? And everybody watching the program, just go to the side there. You'll see it. Take the poll, and then we'll see if it changes during the broadcast. But it says, have your dreams come true? Uh, the choices are not at all. Yes, they have. My dreams have turned into a nightmare. Don't have any dreams. Somebody stole my dreams. How can they come true? Or they are starting to come true. So I'm going to give you what the results are right now. So right now, 40% of the people watching the program that responded say, my dreams have come true. 13% said not at all. Uh, another 13 said, how can they come true? 6% said they're living a nightmare dream. I don't think I want to have that dream. And others don't have any dreams. And So it, it looks like there's a lot of room for people to to sort of work on their dreams and maybe move them in the right direction. Uh, so if, if from what you're saying, you didn't necessarily have dreams of success as one would measure them. And a lot of times it is measured financially or uh, educationally. I mean, the various things. I mean, but there's also the intangibles like spiritual success, happiness, which can't be measured really. And that certainly doesn't have a dollar attachment to it. But so at what point did you start seeing that you life was teaching you how to reprogram from what was holding you back? From from the from the quiz that you're describing and from the positioning of success as you're asking it, I can tell you that 
Uh, one thing you couldn't do growing up uh, in the Soviet Union was to travel because to leave the country you had to have an exit visa and not only an entry visa. And my biggest dream was to see the world. Now, as we're having this conversation, I've been and lived in over 40 countries. So that dream definitely has come true. And that dream, the beginning of that dream was at age 11. So at age 11, I read anything and everything I could get my hands on. You know, Taj Mahal, I've been there. Walking Great Wall of China, I've done that. So the question then begin, you know, becomes for anybody who says, wait a minute, how could you have a dream of an 11-year-old child uh, fulfilled from a country that which borders were, you know, closed? And so from that perspective, if you look at um, succeeding as a way of dreams coming true, I'm an incredibly successful person. If that is your definition of a success, a dream come true, mm -hmm. then you're looking at a very successful, resilient, spiritually resilient person, right? For me, I'm hesitant about success because I believe success is something um, where you fulfill your calling, and yet significance is where your calling fulfills the dreams of others. And so okay. I think in my life, I strive to for the life of, of significance, whether it comes at a cost of personal success or not. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> okay. So so you mentioned the word calling. That's always an interesting term. Do you have a calling? Yes. And what is that? Um, to help people to see the hidden possibility that they're hiding either through their fear, through their doubt, or th through their inability to recognize that possibility, and then to shift their ability to make that possibility not only probable in their life, mm -hmm. but palpable, physical, practical, and miraculous. Mm -hmm. I breathe it, I live it, and that's what gets me excited. Mm. So when um, when a uh, typical American goes driving by the gas station, we're we're pretty grumpy now because a couple of years ago we were paying uh, less than two dollars a gallon. Now we're paying uh, three fifty to seven dollars a gallon. So we look at that. And it disturbs our mentality. It it it, it, it disturbs our aura of happiness. And uh, but maybe what we should say, hey, praise God, I have money to buy that expensive gas there. But but you we go to talking about programming. Mm -hmm. But is it isn't that from the negative program? I and mean, I just use gas as an example. It could be buying some eggs that were a dollar last week. Now they're four dollars. You know and you know, I always tell people Americans have a right to complain. That's part of our nature. It's in our DNA. But is that complaining, is it a neutral sum gain or is it adding negativity uh, or giving permission for more negativity to operate in a person's life? Um, I think the first aspect to look at, and it's, it's very clear, uh, we don't want to talk about positivity as a way of denial. <laughs> right. A lot of people confuse positivity with denial. Okay. So if you walk through a pile of crap, that's the experience you're having. You cannot say this is beautiful grass. That is not healthy, wholesome, or positive. Okay. But what happens when you walk through the pile of crap is once you realize that's where your feet are, you have to look at something else. You get to look up at the sky. You get to look up at the trees because if you keep looking down mm -hmm. at what you're walking you're going to have more of it in your life so the process is yes you notice the gas prices suck that life happens to you you can say that happened to me unfair unfair 30 seconds you're done we all understand it happened to me too now the next step is 
that happened to me so that something in it could happen for me. What am I going to develop as a human being from this negative experience? If you don't make the shift, you're going to continue sliding down emotionally, financially, relationally, in all areas of your life. If you make the shift to this bad thing that's happening to me, what lesson is it in it for me? And then the most important third question is, how can I change it through me? Mm-hmm. That is the process of reprogramming consciously the situation. It's not denying something that's happening, and it certainly is not constantly describing it. Because what we speak, we bring more into our reality. You know, I say notice what you notice, because what you notice is what you create. So if you keep noticing about what's going wrong in your life, you're going to have more and more and more and more of it, just as you said. It's not to deny it. It's just to say, huh, I wonder why. Why is this my third marriage and my spouse is still the same stinking person? Maybe, just maybe, I'm the common denominator. Uh-oh. I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, so questions come in, and I, oh, I, I forgot to welcome people in the live chat. Um, Max Doreen eighty nine fifty one put Yahweh first little tiger Tammy Hall Mickey V Robert Griffin Bear believe Kentucky girl Tony Louisiana people from Australia Grumpy Army Vet Smoke C and Jade Moderator had to get that out real quick. So here's a question for you, and it's totally unrelated. But you said when when you first answered the open Zoom, your open book. Okay, uh, where's all the money going? That's going to the Ukraine. Well, you know, I would have to be a person who is not a, either a conspiracy or opinion driven. I would have to be a person who receives that money to answer that question. I'm not the person who receives the money that's going to Ukraine. Now, I can tell you where money I am sending to Ukraine is going because I am watching that. So 100% of the profit of my clothing line and 80% because we need 20% of profits to operate from my books, my programs, and my coaching right now is going to a group of my volunteer clients in Lviv. When they get that money from us, it's divided into three different categories, and I have it accountable down to a penny. I have kids who lost their parents, and they're supported in the orphanages. We have 18 at this moment that we're feeding and dressing. We have rehabilitated 38 uh, military men completely, uh, tens of thousands of dollars of rehabilitation that would go that. And we continually are buying sanitary products. That's where my money is going. Now, where the rest of the money in Ukraine is going, I don't know. Hmm. I am not a person uh, who is accountable for it. And Hmm. anybody who tells you they know, I would ask how. Well, I would ask how too. <laughs> well, that's phenomenal what you did there. Now, obviously, that's your that's your home country there, and so I could see the the, the sort of attachment. Um, is your is your husband all in for? And when it comes to this, it sounds like it's a charity. Uh, is he is he all in for sending money over there with you? Um, well, my husband and I both are a business people, and so what our businesses do with their money, we're very big on independence here in our family. Whatever his business does is his accountability and okay. accounting. But okay. he's very supportive of me as a human being and of all the choices that and, I make. And, and that's how so that's, 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 that's how okay. I see. That's how, that's how it's working. Um, you, now you have you have a book out there, and um, I think we had it up there once. Here it is, right here. Um, you describe in there thirty five laws 
And do these laws also apply to sort of the making your dream come true as well? Because this seems to be a success thing. Is that, are they tied in or is this the main book for both topics? So um, the book describes 35 universal laws. The reason I call them universal is because they apply to all areas of your life and they work in all areas of your life to improve it. Um, I use them those 35 laws first as spiritual or energy or principle teaching, then how it applied in my life. And then I give three very practical applications to get your money in order as the stability. You know, in our life, uh, we all talk about success, but here's what I've come to understand. Um, In anything we do in life, from walking to talking to building a business in anything, we go from survival to stability, to success, to significance. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in survival strive for success. They cannot get there without crossing stability because otherwise they get very unstable, temporary, crashing success. And you see that happening all the time. And so if somebody is listening, I would say, okay, you got to sit down and you say, is your, let's if we talk money, relationship, doesn't matter, pick an area. Is it in survival mode? Because if it is, it stands no chance to be successful. It first has to become stable. And from survival to stability is change of habits. From stability to success is the change of mindset. Oh, we're so big on mindset. That's phenomenal. After you are out of survival and stability. Mm -hmm. And after the change of mindset, from success and to survival comes a change of heart. And what a gorgeous luxury it is. Because you're not starving. Your family's not starving. You're in stability. Mm -hmm. Right? That's that's my little very passionate spiel. Okay. All right. So so can you you describe, say... um an imaginary person who would be unstable and how would that person move to stability? Yeah. So, um, there are a lot, you know, there's a big difference between being a dreamer and, uh, a delusional, um, what would I say? Mm, Person who is imagining things without acting on them. And so if you are currently, stuck in a very bad job and you have a dream of a great business, okay. right? So you're saying, I'm stuck. I want to build this business, but I'm completely stuck. So I'm in sheer survival because my job barely pays my bills. I'm barely surviving. And I have this great idea. So it's great to talk about it, but how do you come out of the business, of the job environment to the business? And so most people then either take a huge loan, they leave the job, they take a huge loan, they go into debt, they crash and burn, or they continually hope maybe I'll get a raise, I'll get more money, and then I'll, you know, uh, break through. So how do you go through that? Very simple, very naively simple, but you block 15 minutes a day. That's all it is, 15 minutes a day, every day, relentlessly, take Sunday off, (laughs) Um, towards answering one question, one question only. What is the one thing I can do to build my business today? Mm-hmm. You spend 15 focused minutes no matter what. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, on a bigger scale of things, applying to anything in life, this is what all of my, I believe, success is responsible for the next three principles that anybody can do wherever they are. They're huge. They're guided. Um, I don't. I hope it doesn't you know, rub anybody wrong because I'm very big on God, greater world designer. 
if you call that power in your life universe, so be it. But there is a power that is greater than you. We can all settle in. And that power wants to guide you. And so the three questions that will change your life from today, no matter where you are, to within a year is question number one, what is your theme for the year? You don't have to, you don't have to know how to pray or meditate. Mm, You just close your eyes and you say, okay, what's my theme for the year? The first thing that comes to you. 2023 is, okay, you know, for Daniel, it's expansion, actually. (laughs) Okay, congratulations. That's your theme for the year. (laughs) Okay, the next question is every month you're going to say, what is my theme for the month to support my theme for the year? Mm, Okay. All right. And then here's where the rubber meets meets the road. And honestly, this is a million-dollar tip. Every day, every day, you ask one little question, and you're going to follow it no matter what. You're going to say, what is one decision I am to make or one action I am to take today to support my theme for the months in the best and highest, most aligned way? Every day? You will every, every day except day. Sunday. Every day except Sunday? Except Sunday. Sunday, sleep it off. Rest. You've okay. earned it. Okay. <laughs> and so the second you, and you will receive it, people say, well, what if I don't get it? I'm like, okay, what color are you thinking about? Uh, uh, blue? Uh, red? Were you thinking about it before I asked you? No. That's how subconscious works. It must answer a question you ask. So if you ask that question, hmm. you will immediately have an answer. Once you have that answer, no matter how little it is, go get a glass of water, or how big it is. Call the producer of the show you've been dreaming about for 10 years. Find their number and call. Whatever it is, here's the powerful thing. You're going to take that action and make that decision. And then you're going to say, that was the one thing I was supposed to do today. So everything else, all the overwhelm of the tasks I need to do, it is now a bonus in my life. Mm -hmm. It's a bonus. And it gets you out of overwhelm and stress and helplessness into winning the day early on. It really is miraculous. Ooh, win the I day. would challenge anybody well, to follow it. That sounds pretty pretty amazing and a kind of a, a step-by-step thing. S- sounds like an old adage I heard one time. says, inch by inch, life is a cinch. Yard by yard, life is hard. But taking a step, uh, so it could be anything. Let's just say, Daniel Ott here, I want to be on, uh, I don't know, a Fox News channel or something. So I look up their I look up their programming director's number. Yep. Now I say I have the number. I I don't have to go any further than that, right? Because that's a, I'm thinking your qualif the qualification is anything is applicable no matter how small. So could could I get away with just getting the number and then maybe it the depends. next it depends on what your final game is. If your final game is to please yourself, sabotage, yes, of course you can get away with it. But if your goal truly is to gain every possible dream in your life, you will complete the task, right? So, mm-hmm. however, if you get that, we'll stick with the number. If it is get the number, you're going to get the number on that day. I would say you stop there on that day. Okay, so I, I can day, check it. You're gonna make the call. I can check yeah. that day off. You can check that day off. And I tell, because very often what happens is that we have a little success. We are so excited. We exhaust ourselves in the direction of success. And then we do nothing for weeks, months, and sometimes years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you get on, you know, you get that high and you're like, oh my gosh, I can do everything now. 
that's when you want to stop, hold your horses and say, let's see what happens tomorrow. How much better can it get tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm an intuitive and I, I'm perceiving that a viewer, maybe a couple of viewers are saying, yeah, well, that's you. I heard this before. Uh, this hocus pocus, that ain't going to work. My life is crap and it's nobody going, nothing's going to improve it now. <laughs> is, is there any work that we can do for those folks? And I guarantee you there's a percent, maybe a, a large percent in that category. So what can we do? What can, how can we help them a little bit here? Um, two very powerful points, just, just what they are. One comes from experience. Um, for years, I've tried to breathe life into dead fish. The mm. dead fish wants to want the air in order to swim. Wow. It's called free agency. The big word for that is free agency. Wait, wait, free wait, 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 wait. What's that word? Free agency. Free agency. Freedom to choose. Okay, okay. I got you. Free agency. Got you. Okay. Nobody, nobody can violate someone's internal free agency. They can force us externally. Mm -hmm. But if a person is set to fail internally, nobody can rescue them. However, the second that person asks the question, maybe, just maybe, it could be possible for me. Mm -hmm. All I'm asking for, are you a person that doesn't necessarily believe it's possible for me to have a life of my dreams that's too huge? All I'm asking is, can you ask a question, what if it were possible for me? Now, if you're that person, I can help you. But if you're a person who is set that nothing is possible until you make a choice to believe in possibility, mm -hmm. I cannot help. And, you know, Bob Proctor, I have, um, was a great, great Canadian um, coach, and uh, I worked with him for a while, and he set me down one time, and you know, it was a very expensive coaching program. I paid 50 grand. At that time, that was a fortune beyond fortune. I took second loan on my house, um, and that's where I said my husband supports in everything, however crazy it is. That was crazy. Looking back, that was crazy. But I took the 50-year, 50 50,000 loan to be coached by Bob Proctor, and he set me down, and this was my $50,000 advice. He said, go where you wanted, not only where you needed. So the answer is, if somebody is set on self-destruction, unfortunately, I cannot help them. But if they ask a question, mm -hmm. what if you could help me? Then yes, mm -hmm. I can. And what, what, what's, that, what's that term, you can't breathe life into dead fish? That's what I say. Well, that also, there's another term uh, that, that I kind of coined. Well, I don't know if I've coined it. Maybe I picked it up somewhere. It's kind of internal. But... Um, um, uh, spiritual vampires or energy vampires. These are yeah. the these are sort of your dead fish people, and no matter what you say positive, there's a negative response. And I I know people like that. And it's like, yeah. are you ever going to smile? Can you ever say something nice? Can you ever say, I'm happy to be alive? No, they can't. So at what point do you do you? I mean, there must be possible. The miracles happen. I mean, Jesus and the miracle of the fish. So. A dead fish could come back to life somehow. So should we quit quit trying when we realize there's there's this energy sucking or dead hole, this drain hole, no matter what you say, should we 
move away from them or continue trying or just forget that just join them and if, if misery makes them happy just just tell them how bad things how how bad how bad my day went maybe maybe it's, it'd be great i don't know you know i'll be very very frank and very obvious uh, and i think that i'll probably touch a lot of people you know i, I mean you've, you've you've seen our president Zelensky, right we just say it for what it is i don't care what <laughs> i'm not here to be liked Okay. It's a fr- point of freedom is I'm not here to be like, so this is what I'm going to say. It depends who they are in your family. If it's your kids, you don't have a luxury to give up on them. Mm-hmm. You, you've you made a choice to be responsible mm-hmm. for the life of your kids. Mm-hmm. So they can be dead fish 24-7. You get to breathe life into them. That's a consequence of having made a choice to mm-hmm. have them. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's your friend, now that's different. It's very different. Okay. You can make a different choice. You can make a choice to say, you're draining me. And because you're draining me, I'm not strong enough to be pulling you up. Mm. So you know, you and only you know who and how and to what degree drains you. You and only you can set those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Because until you let go of people who drain you, you cannot connect with people who empower you. Sort of the... The, the the person in the in the ocean who can't swim you don't swim out to them because they'll crawl on you and take yeah. you down you throw them a, in fact that was in a scene in the movie Titanic did you see that movie yeah they, they yeah. were in the ocean man and that they showed that where their people didn't have a life people couldn't swim and they were climbing on other people so that's kind of kind of what happens don't say hey man i'll send you an email <laughs> i'm not talking to you no more but so okay so i understand that uh there's always there always seems to be hope that uh, yeah. that there's to be some possibility of change there. But um, let's go to the question here. Uh, we mentioned earlier uh, you you mentioned sort of your business. Uh, somebody wants to know what what's your husband's business? Is that something you can share? Yes, absolutely. My husband is a retired federal judge, and so mm-hmm. he does uh, the patent law consulting. He travels and he consults on patent law, how to protect your intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice, nice, nice. And I must say, by the way, you have an awesome-looking website. Of all the guests mm-hmm. I've had, I mean, it's really functional, nice, nice to try, easy, easy to travel through. We have a link to your website uh, on our uh, on on in your bio section of our uh, uh, write-up on you. But let's go ahead and check results. See if we've moved any here so far, because usually these the poll usually changes as a guest comes on and starts to talk, and people get to understand. It's like a mental shift when you you're turning tuning into a program and they don't know what to expect and they may have some um, kind of hold back in the beginning and it was all a big maze but then when they start to focus a little bit then the numbers start to change a little bit when they start to tune in what's going on all right so 40 percent now said that their dreams have come true 13 percent still down there at not at all uh, no movement on that um, the one of the top one of the the possibilities of voting is somebody stole my dream. Now I don't know what that looks like. Maybe that's uh, maybe somebody wanted to do what you did and they did it first to steal your dream. I I don't know. Um, uh, if your dream, and so that leads me to the question: If the dream you have, and this goes to um, fate, so to speak, is it you? How do you know that you're pursuing the dream that isn't for you? That 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 that, that you mentioned the great designer. I mean, I, I personally believe there's a life path, and we prosper and we are at our best when we're on that path. We're at our worst when we're off that path. But what if we're on a path and we're trying to make it work, and it's is it's not for us? 
Um, this is why we ask those three questions, because we trust for them to come from the source that is offering us the best and highest path, right? But uh, today, it looks like we're going to be talking questions today. We're going to be answering with questions. I think a lot of people do not get their dream because they haven't been taught how to want what is best for them through them, and they pursue something they think they should want or something that others have and they think they want, uh, and I see that all the time. Um, I think discovering what your real dream is 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 a is the biggest part of this quandary. And so I usually, when I have somebody who comes in into my circle, I have them sit down and answer these four questions to find out the truth of their dream. The first one is, what is it that I want? And you write down everything that you think you want, everything that you want. There's no sky's the limit. The second question, you don't want to, and you do not want to cut um, these questions out because they work at different parts of your brain mm -hmm. and your psyche, allowing for the real uh, dream coming to vision. So second question is going to be, what do I want most? So these are things I want. Now you're going to ask yourself, what do I want the most? And you're going to answer that. Then comes the third question. What outcome do I want? What outcomes do I want? Because you see people say, well, I want to be a president of the country. But they usually want to be that because they want a certain outcome. What outcome do you want? Well, I want to have power or I want to have influence or I want to fly on a private jet. Usually we don't go deep enough to know why we want something. And often we get it and we still feel empty. So that third question is very important. What outcome do I outcomes do I want? And finally, the gold is in the fourth question. What outcome do I want the most? It's a very vulnerable question. Once you arrive at that, then you can build your dream around it. Then you're going to say, if that's the outcome that I want the most, if inner peace really is the outcome I want the most, mm -hmm. and I started with a quadruple five-story building you know, as a house dream because I thought that if I have that, that means I have all the money to buy that. That means I have all the safety to buy that. That means I have peace inside. Well, if the greatest outcome is the inner peace, then every day I'm going to ask, what is the one action I am to take or one decision I am to make? to live my life through inner peace today. And it's the most, and then not only your dreams that are always limiting come true, but the dreams you couldn't possibly imagine open up for you. Mm -hmm. Would you think uh, in uh, your, your 35 laws there, that is there a law that if you, um, really are wanting somebody else's dream you know you feel like you, your dream is maybe to be a helper and so if you want to help somebody else realize their dream would that come back to you and your own personal dream if you say are, are less working on your dream but maybe trying to help somebody else's dream to come true i have several there are several universal laws there is a law of the harvest we all reap what you sow there is the law of cause and effect, and the law of the harvest is a phenomenal um, law because we don't reap what we think we sow. <laughs> we actually reap exactly what we sow. And so, in you know, using your own words, if that if you are helping somebody to pursue something, you are actually sowing that into your life in the same way that you're sowing it into their life. You know, um, speaking of books, we just I just had a book come out that I only wrote a chapter in. It's 
called Wickedly Smart Women. Mm-hmm. And it's on it's uh, trusting intuition, taking action, changing the world. There's 17 women that have written a book on how to follow the divine guidance or intuition or knowing, however you define it, and taking action has changed their world and is changing the world around them. Well, 100% of proceeds of that book is going to um, Life is Good for children that have no ability to play and playing, no money, no support. And playing is a huge part of developing. Now, why did I have to make time to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking of the warning and everything, it, it's not my passion. I love kids, but I love mine. I mean, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's not my passion. But a friend of mine, that's her passion. I'm going to support her, you know, and pouring into it. And now seeing the results, now her passion has ignited me. And so I think until you are passionate about your dream, it's wonderful to be supporting somebody else's. Mm-hmm. So, so you, are you saying that you have to be working on your own dream before you can help somebody else? No, absolutely not. That sometimes you're not clear what your dream is, mm-hmm. and through helping somebody else, that becomes more clear in your life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so. You're saying if you help somebody else, that your own personal dreams become more clear. Yes. Okay. Always, always. Now, in it seems like some of these these laws here, like you mentioned, the law of harvest, the laws of cause and effect, these kind of things, they seem to have some sort of karmatic, if that's a term, angle to that. And let me let me put it to you, put it this way, in another field, um, and it's a, it's a little political. But it just glares to me as as you were saying that, and that is um, when the United States, when the Democrats took over the House, they kicked all the Republicans off the committees. And when um, they found classified documents at oh oh so so they got kicked off the committees. Now the Republicans took over, so they kicked all the Democrats off. So that to me is is sort of like cause and effect. Another another one just out in the news, all over the news, the biggest news of the of the week. I know you're probably not a political person, but it's big news. Um, uh, it was all about Trump having documents down at Mar-a-Lago, and they sent the FBI down there with 50 jackbooted thugs to get it. And then the president said, "If you got classified documents at your house, you're the most irresponsible person ever in jeopardizing national security." But all week long now, documents have been found at Joe Biden's house, and everything that he said. Yeah. Is that I'm not a political person, but the difference is that when they followed him in Trump's house, he was a president. As far as I know, as a president, you can declassify anything. That's not on the news. That's me thinking. Yeah. So we can't compare apples to apples. When they found him in Joe's house, he wasn't a president yet, so that was a violation. Mm-hmm. I went to two law schools. I don't practice. Well, it sounds like but you're... But I'm very good with the lawyers. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for that. That that tells me that you actually are are aware of that situation. The vice president does not have the authority to declassify or keep those documents, but a president does. But what I'm but isn't that though? Is it seems that everything that the I'm not I don't want to be political, but it seems like everything the left accuses the right of, they're guilty of, or they're exposed later of doing exactly that. So, but that's just in the political realm. Is that the kind of thing we're talking about? So, is, is, you got to be careful how you say things because it's going to come back. So maybe you should focus on saying more positive, so more positive can come back. Is that? Is, am I getting that right? Yeah, uh, I, I think you're describing it perfectly. I also think that we're only this is this going to be a bit of a shocker, but we're only able to notice in others what we dwell on the most ourselves. Mm. Period. Okay. 
So, so it's it's kind of like when they say if you're pointing finger at somebody, you got four fingers pointing back at yourself. Very that, much so, very much is, so. And you know, I uh, I find it all fascinating because I think, um, you know, it's like uh, more hatred is being practiced daily in anti-hatred rallies. <laughs> and I think what happens is that because instead of, uh, Mother Teresa put it best, she said, I will never walk in an anti-war protest. But when you have a march for peace, you will find me there. Mm-hmm. She had a job to restore peace. Mm-hmm. Her job was not to depose war. And I think that's the pattern that I see when somebody screams very loud that they're deposing something of someone, it's because they don't know what they stand for. They only know what they stand against. But whoever or whatever you cannot stand is what stands in your way of success. Hmm. It's huge. Okay. So what triggers you? Okay. <laughs> Shift it. Focus on something else. Okay. Change, change your focus a little bit. So in, in a certain way, we, we are talking about dreams and making your dreams come true. But uh, is having a dream, a literal dream, is that a is is that a point where you can find out what your dream is? Do you do you talk about that ever? That your own personal night your night dream? You, all of a sudden you have a dream of where you're going or what to do that's right. Is that part of this thing, or could you never have a dream like that and all do it sort of in the awake state? You know, uh, I very much believe in prophetic dreams. I've had them. I've had people who had them. I also know there are a lot of gibberish dreams because the subconscious is regurgitating unprocessed trauma and is finding for a way to heal a person. Um, There are also pattern dreams where you have a stuck fear from childhood that you keep recurring dream. I'm fascinated by dreams. I'm not an expert in dreams. I do have an expert in dreams on my team. I actually was on a podcast, and he was interpreting one of the dreams as a style of a podcast. I was so fascinated. I invited him to be on my team as a dream me coach. So he actually works with people on interpreting their dreams. It's Mm -hmm. the art. It's a skill. He's a trained uh, psychotherapist Mm -hmm. who also studies the dreams. So um, I think that that I can tell you a phenomenal tool towards your dream of how to use your dreaming state. When you fall asleep, your subconscious mind for four hours is active and it is regurgitating the last feeling, emotion, or thought that you were drifting to sleep with. It creates neural receptors for you to then recognize the opportunities that would support that image. So if you are dreaming of something in real life, you are dreaming, like I said, for me, travel is I love, I'm passionate about travel. So if you're listening to me and you're saying, I have no money, I have no time, I have no opportunity, but maybe it would be possible for me to travel. I'm only asking for that possibility. Maybe it would be possible for me to travel. Then I want you to think of one place you really want to go to. Mm -hmm. And before you go to bed, I want you to imagine you're already there and fall asleep with a smile on your face of how it would happen. There is a neuroscientific evidence that as you sleep for four hours, your brain is rewiring itself to help you recognize opportunities that are aligned with that dream. Hmm. Okay. So do you speak Russian? I speak Russian, Ukrainian, Polish, Spanish. Learning okay. Italian. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, hey, say. Um, Ukraine is my first language. Russian is my second language. Uh, okay. So, so, are, are you? Does it bother you that all this stuff going on with between Russia attacking Ukraine? How's that? How's that? How do you receive that? 
all right, open book, no crying. Uh, I got a call uh, eight months ago, beginning of the war. My great aunt had, had the Russian soldiers break into our house. After they've eaten all the food and raped my niece, they said, we're out of food, get in the car. My great aunt, my niece, and two children got in the car to go buy food. They opened fire. She died on contact. My niece was wounded. The children were saved. So that is what I feel about what's happening in Ukraine hmm. daily. I have had schoolmates who have died, um, who have been killed. Now, that's not new. Hmm. Russia attacking Ukraine. And I don't want to say Russia. I have a lot of friends who speak Russian. Evil that is currently in Russia attacking Ukraine is not new. Stalin starves, depending on different number, from 6 to 9 million Ukrainians. That's the fact, right? People that are creative, that are freedom-loving, usually rub people that want to control the situation. Uh, we just don't stand down very well. Hmm. Control. That's interesting. So let me let me answer that. Uh, America is uh, often described as a land of opportunity, and it's, it's unfortunate that most of Americans haven't been able to access that opportunity. And I think... It's not because it's not there. I think it's more in line what you say. It's what some would describe stinking thinking or the need that our thoughts be reprogrammed because there's a system out there to program us to be negative, to hinder yeah. our success. Because if we become successful, we become independent. If we become independent, then we come, become less dependent upon the state. Whereas, say, you have a sort of a Russia where more, you know, or a communist situation where. Uh, people are dependent upon the state. Do you recognize any trend in this country that you may have seen in in Russia or in the Ukraine? Trend? Did you see anything trending in this country that's happening that you have seen before and yes. are aware it's, of? It's the loss of God. It's a loss of God. You first kill God, then you make government your God then you no longer pray to higher power to discover the power within you. You now have a state as your savior. I think we have a savior, but if we choose the state to be the savior, then we're very surprised when the, the new uh, elected uh, savior does not uh, necessarily meet our expectations. Um, this is how it was in the Soviet Union. You know, um, you did, you, you were not, you were not really allowed to um, seek empowerment because if you were powerful, if you were strong, then you did not need to be saved by the government. And mm -hmm. if you did not need to be saved by the government, then how could government possibly justify controlling your life 100%? Mm -hmm. It is very dangerous, I mm -hmm. think, uh, at what, what we're experiencing. And I think it comes from uh, slowly and, and you know, and that I know who I believe and how I believe. I also know I believe in freedom of religion and spirituality. I believe it's important for every person to believe as they choose. But when it is becoming shameful to believe, that's a red flag. That's a real red flag. And mm. those red flags are being flied all over the country right now. Mm. Kind of reminds me of um, the Haitians and the Cubans in Florida. <clears throat> they certainly recognize a trend in this country of uh, a totalitarian state 
controlling everything from what you eat to the car you drive to whether or not you can have a gas stove, uh, whether you have lobster on the East Coast, whether you can have a pond in your backyard. I mean, it's just they recognize because they came from a place what was just like that. And well, it's not completely we're, this country's not completely like that. There's definitely a trend for that kind of thing. And I think the, the people that have come from situations like that can see it better than the people living here all, the whole time. Uh, now, here's a question. Uh, we may have asked it already, but maybe we need to express it again. How do you know if you have the right dream? You know, there is a great book by Andy Andrews, I believe, The Traveler's Gift, I think. But anyway, the concept there is very powerful. It says, God did not give us... Um, an opportunity to always make the right choice, but he did give us an opportunity to make a choice and then make it right. The only way you'll know it's a right dream, if you pursue enough wrong dreams to know that they're wrong. A lot of people are afraid to pursue a dream because they're not sure it's the right one. Mm -hmm. The fear of failure is the biggest stumbling block to success. Failure is not opposite of success. Failure is the pavement on which success walks. So if I had the biggest desire for all of us, let's find 10 ways to fail today. Because if we do 10 days in a row, there'll be a great success on the 11th day. Mm -hmm. That's, that, that kind of reminds me of what, uh, I think it was Thomas Edison that once said when uh, when he d was working on the light bulb, uh, he said they said something like, you've, you've done a thousand of them and they don't work. And he said, well, it's a, 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 a thousand w ways have led me to the one way that, does work you know so uh but he never he never gave up I and mean, you would think after so many failures uh, that he would but look look what happened because he never gave up his dream and i think for society would be a better place if people's more people's dream would be coming true because it seems like most people's dreams are dreams of success and they don't have dreams of say hurting somebody or being evil or stealing that's not a dream that somebody typically has but imagine if people's dreams would come true, there'd be a lot more happier people around, would there not? I think it's the other way around. I think you first choose to be happy no matter what. Mm -hmm. That's the tough situation. You don't make your happiness depending on the outcome of you achieving your dream. Mm -hmm. You're listening okay. to this and you say, right now, I'm going to choose to be grateful for the little that I have. I'm going to choose to be appreciative so what I have appreciates which means grows in value. And I'm going to choose to be peaceful, loving, and happy. If you make that choice, and that is a choice, you have the quote, right, Victor mm -hmm. Frankl? That is a choice. Okay. If you make a choice to choose happy now, not pending on whether you get your dream or not, the percentage, the probability of your dream coming true is much higher. Because mm -hmm. you're not learning that you're deserving to be happy now, not based on some bubble bursting in the future. Mm -hmm. Does does every person deserve to have their dreams come true? I believe so. I believe very strongly that there's a big difference between being worthy of your dreams and unworthy actions. I think more so for men. I have a lot of uh, male clients, and um, it's a very interesting pattern. I think for a lot of us, when we make a mistake that is unworthy of who we are as human beings, we assume we are unworthy. And I think one of the greatest gifts that I could give somebody is to, when you've done something in your past you're not proud of, instead of saying, this is me, I'm a horrible person, 
is to say that was unworthy of who I'm born to be. Mm -hmm. I'm going to forgive that and I'm going to try to live more worthy of who I've come to be. So I believe we all are worthy of infinite love that is there for us and infinite opportunity. And it is our mistakes that we somehow believe make us unworthy of living our dream. But if we redefine it and we say, wait a minute, this me cheating and trying to mm-hmm. <laughs> rob somebody of their dream, that's unworthy mm-hmm. of me mm-hmm. and of my dream. What a great mm-hmm. reminder. So, I think so, that great. so you're saying self-condemnation for past behavior can stop you from your dream coming true. Yes, yes absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Guilt is suffocating, and the only way to access that is through deep, profound forgiveness, self and others. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of reminds me of the Bible story with, with the woman at the well when Jesus talked to, to other people that were condemned, wanted to stone the woman, says, you know, he who hasn't sinned, cast the first stone, they all left. And Jesus said, woman, uh, your accuser aren't here to condemn you and neither do I. So from a savior standpoint, you mentioned savior said the savior is not condemning people for things they have done. It seems that the enemy comes to you and condemns you for you have done. But I would say that the fact that you may recognize you have done wrong tells you that you still have a, a viable conscience. You still have a spirit that's intact, but discerning between the self condemnation as if that's a penance. If I just hate myself, then, then I deserve that. I mean, there is that. And so I think that's some kind of thought process that, that may have been kind of ingrained or programmed, as you use the word, into us. Uh, how do you get around that? You know, I define the word sinner through Latin root, because what you're describing is love the sinner, condemn the sin. I defined the word sinner through the Latin root, because sin is without. It's very simple. When we're without Love, when we're acting without love, we're without, we're sinning. To me, it's that simple. That's why everything Christ taught was one one word, love. Mm -hmm. Moses came up with a gazillion of laws. Christ said, said, forget that it's love. But we forgot that he said it's love. We're going back to the laws. But that's besides the point. Mm -hmm. So it is that to me is what it comes down to. We usually commit we as humanity commit atrocity because we've detached, detached completely from loving. And so whenever we're without love, we're in a state of that sin or withoutness. And so it's all about seeking a life that is a life of sharing love in mm-hmm. the most fulfilling way to be alive. Is that something that you can get down to the moment of your conversation to be on the top of your mind when you're getting ready to engage in a routine or a random conversation, maybe with the the waitress or the gas station or any kind of human interaction. Is that something you can be cognitive of all the time? Or is it something that you get, you kind of get burnt and say, Oh, I shouldn't have said that after is always going to be the kind of the after thing. Or can you get it to where you're actually ahead of that in your conversation and you, you know when you start speaking, you're not going to go down a certain road no matter what the conversation says. You know, I call it 
cutting the gap between scared and sacred. So what I mean by that is that there is a scared part of us, <laughs> a part that is scared, maybe there isn't enough for it, you know, not enough love, not enough attention. That's the part when it dictates our life, it comes out pretty ugly. And then there is a sacred part of us, the one that remembers we're loved by our creator at all times, and that is all we need. But love from creator is all we need. <laughs> Everything else is a bonus. And there's a gap between the two. And so what happens is, you know, personal growth to me is closing that gap, closing that gap. So in the beginning, as you're describing, it's catching yourself and saying, dang it, I shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. And then saying, now I know, great reminder, and cutting that gap as to where first you've said something you didn't mean to, you dwell on it for three months and you're angry at everybody else and you say even more things you don't mean because you're dwelling on how you shouldn't have said it and you're in that pattern to going, now it's three weeks, now it's three days, now it's three hours, now it's three minutes, now you open your mouth to say it and you go, and the new paradigm comes out. So that's a longer way of shifting that, right? Mm -hmm. We... What we do in our company, we just give you shortcuts where we say, wait a minute, if you just give love to that scared self and mm -hmm. say, come on, buddy, you, you, you just, you're fine. You know, mm -hmm. you're loved. You don't have to go after them. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just a, an, an easier, more subtle way to heal. But uh, it sounds like uh, the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. Now, but speaking of, of that, um, uh, Victoria, looking looking at the the thirty five laws in your book, I'm not seeing the law of love in there. What, where is it? It's in every law. Okay, okay. There's only one law, and that law is love. Okay. But because we're different human beings, we will access it through one of those thirty five. Whether it's gratitude or forgiveness, you know, mm -hmm. I describe love in the book as life originating vibrant emotion. And it is energy in motion. That's what love to me is. Mm -hmm. It's not passionate. It's not lustful necessarily. It's simply continually adding energy into life. So if a dad hits a child and says, I hate you because I love you, it ain't necessarily love. Mm -hmm. So if, if let's just say that you you have a you have a dream and you're working on it and you're you're using some of these other laws like the law of investment, law of spending, law of synchronicities, these various things. But on the other hand, you, you've got something going on where you're in a battle, maybe a legal battle with somebody, and there's nasty emails going back and forth. Uh, but then you get to your your dream, and you're all lovey dovey. Is it are, are do the, do they eliminate each other, yin and yang, or is it just you're going to have both? You can probably still have your dream, but you're also going to have a uh, whatever that the result of that stuff would be. I think that. This is a very powerful question. Why? Because what we're currently going through is the result of choices that have happened in the past. Because first there are thoughts and there are emotions and there are actions, there are decisions, then there are actions, then there are results, and there is created reality. So you and I are having a conversation that is a result of a lot of things that happened in, happened in the past for both you and me. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at the snapshot of the past choices. And so it can be frustrating for somebody who wants to create a new life to not see the immediate results. But it's very important to realize is that the life you're in right now is the results of patterns and exchanges that have been there for for some of us for decades. And so it's being patient. You know, there's that Les Brown has that powerful Chinese bamboo story. 
as where do you, you know, you plant a Chinese bamboo, nothing happens for months. And then for years, for five years, there's no growth. Mm-hmm. For five years. And then all of a sudden, it grows at three feet a day for 90 days, for 30 days. It grows up to 90 feet. Mm-hmm. So the question is, did it grow over 90 days? Of course not. It grew over five years so it's very important to understand that if you are as you're facing your daily life you keep space for your i call it sacred creation of the life you're nursing now and you're pouring into and you're allowing for it to eventually take over the patterns that are currently surrounding you mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier somebody on your team and i noticed from your website it looked like there's several people on your team um was having team members part of your dream or no is, no no it was God's it was God's dream for me <laughs> your dream was uh, much smaller than that yes my, my, my can I be okay um I have one dream so I'll be very frank Dan I have one dream it's a very big dream it's a huge dream but it's a very small dream I just dream every day to be used by God fully and completely every day and then together witness a life of a miracle that unfolds. Mm-hmm. That's that's as true and vulnerable as it can be. And I think a lot of the things that, um, you know, what I've given those three steps, that's how everything has been created. Everything, everything I have, every app, every book, every program has been created with those three basic things. This is my year theme. This is my month theme. What am I to do today to fulfill my you know, calling, I call it calling. And uh, so it was not a dream to have a big team, but the dream has always been how do I serve what I believe is my talent? How do I grow my talent in the best and highest way? Yeah. Okay. Um, you always hear somebody will say, um, you know, I had success I never dreamed of. Well, if you never dreamed it, then how could you have that success? Did it come from somewhere else? It always comes from somewhere else. We we cannot control results. If the COVID didn't teach us, I don't know what will. We live under the illusion that we are responsible for results. We're only responsible for effort. That's it. And if we continue pouring into effort, and then we will be surprised pleasantly by the results. But I think we're in a society that judges everything by results. We only control the effort. Mm-hmm. That's the end game. That's what we need faith. The faith is the gap between the result, between the effort and the results. Mm. There's a Bible story that says that Abraham saw a city afar off, though he didn't receive it. It was accounted unto him for righteousness, which means that, and it was is in the, I think it was in Hebrews in in, in the in in the what they call the chapter faith chapter. He saw that city. Having not received it in this life, but God accounted it unto him for righteousness, which means that he didn't get his dream. His dream was to see that city, but he didn't get it. But God said, well, that was faith, and that's worth more than even you getting it. So if somebody doesn't get their dream, and they're working hard on it, but they believe that they should get that, wouldn't is that okay too? Isn't that a thing? That's a win-win situation? I think it is a thing. I think it is a thing. I think it's... Uh... I think if we just all take a chill pill on the whole dream process and realize that we dream to get us out of bed and act and to open a door to a much greater dream happening for us, (laughs) the purpose of a goal is not getting. The purpose of a goal is growing. Mm -hmm. I can't say it any better. 
Okay. Well, well that's Goals good. Goals are not forgetting. Goals are for growing. We mm-hmm. didn't come to get stuff. We have come to grow in the mm-hmm. process of being here. And as we grow, stuff comes and it leaves. And hopefully we're unaffected by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does, it does come and go. Certainly, certainly uh, aren't going to be taking it with you. Um, so, well, unless you're a pharaoh, uh, you try. Okay, so here, here's a question for you. It says, is it, is, it, is it okay not to have a dream? No, not okay. Not okay to have a dream because if you don't have an active dream, it means you have an active worry or you're in the state of apathy. And those are low-frequency dreams. Hmm. Like I said, we dream not to get them. We dream to give God an opportunity to place the dreams that are there for us. We've got to open the door. Dream opens the door. It opens mm. the door. But we're not attached to what comes through that open door. Mm. Wow, that's interesting. I, th- I, I have a, hang on, I, I, have a, I have a thought bubble that says, did she just say that? You just said that it's not okay to not have a dream. That, that it is a requirement for your human experience, your spiritual self in a, in a human body to have a dream. Because you're having it, whether you're aware or not. So it's good to have an aware dream. Because if you're not aware of creating a dream, trust me, you're creating a dream because we cannot not think. But what is your dream then? Your dream is that of not of something that you don't want to happen. So you're dreaming a nightmare. Is that bubble in your thing that you were telling me that? that my, my dreams are a nightmare? Well, it's be- okay, Shakespeare said it best. Shakespeare is my friend in metaphysical science, I've decided. He said to be or not to be, that is the question. What does it mean? You know, um, we have misinterpreted a very powerful principle, ask and you shall receive. I talk about it all the time. Ask and you shall receive has become ask for stuff. Order things and you will get them. doesn't say that, doesn't it? says ask and you shall receive. The questions that you ask will be answered. So if you're asking, how do I not get sick? How do I not get cheated? How do I not get fired? You get that. You get sick, cheated, and fired. <laughs> but if you're asking, how do I stay healthy to be? How do I become prosperous in a healthy way? How do I form relationships? You get that. You know, it drives me crazy in a good way that we call the story of Job the story of patience. It's a story of creation. For everything he has feared of has come upon him. That is scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when he says, wait a minute, why did I worry? Why was my dream not to lose my stuff? Because I lost it all and I said all I needed was my faith in God. And now he has everything back. But the point there is he did have a dream. His dream was not to lose his stuff. So if you are not creating an active positive dream, if you're not creating to be state, it means you are in a not to be state. It means you are fearing the government, what it will do to you. I don't care. I'll create the life. Regardless, I've done it in the Soviet Union, I will do it here, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, and, and, and of course it'd be a, it'd be a, a sad too. Say, um, if you go to the other side, once you go to the other side, that um, you're shown the possibilities of what could have happened in your life, but you chose not to dream to activate those things. Is that anywhere near something? Yeah, very much so. Open the doors. Dream is opening the doors. You're not attached to it. 
You open the doors, you move towards it, and you go like, wow, something much better happened for me. But then also, too, if you don't have a dream, isn't that a dream to not have a dream? Yes, that's my point precisely. That's why I said it's impossible not to dream. <laughs> you're just dreaming without awareness that you're dreaming, and that usually means negative pattern of behavior. So, so, so we're, we're, we're activating things constantly, whether we think we're yeah. not doing any, if we're trying to live a neutral life. Um I'm thinking neutral is probably low frequency. It's not neutral. It's, it's low, isn't it? Zig Ziglar said, you're either growing or dying. There's no neutral. You're either growing or dying, right? I love, mm -hmm. that, love that quote. Because if you're not growing, you're decaying. And mm -hmm. you might not be aware. That's why to me, like I talk about four steps of uh, creating abundance. I don't mean just money. The mm -hmm. first one is awareness. Because mm -hmm. you cannot get a person out of a prison that is unaware they are in one. You first have to say, wait a minute, I'm in prison. Once you're aware, then you can say, oh, I want to have a plan to get out. And that's what happened when the Soviet Union fell apart. So many people of older generations were like a bird, the bird that was born in a cage that was fed, hand fed. And now somebody took it out of the cage and said, fly. They had no skills to survive. So they were mourning the old regime of a cage. And I understand why. Because they were unaware they were in prison. And so we are continually in prisons of our own mind we're unaware of. Mm -hmm. So first, find out you're in the cell. Then say, how do I get out of that cell? And then say where I'm going. Mm. Wow. That's pretty pretty interesting stuff. I play a, I play a liner at the beginning of this show. It's, for, it's a clip from a, 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 a show in the 60s called The Prisoner with Patrick McGowan. And uh, it, He's, 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 he didn't know he was in a he was in a village, but he didn't know he was a prisoner in that village, and mm -hmm. so he was happy until he found out he was a prisoner. But he didn't know he was. So people can get accustomed to that prison and think that's what God has planned for them. But how do they know if they're in the prison, Victoria? Ask and you shall receive. Ask, am I in a prison? Mm -hmm. What is my path of freedom? We have an inborn right to hear the still, small voice. We haven't mm -hmm. come here to be abandoned. Mm -hmm. We have come here to be guided. Mm -hmm. We turn on the TV, we hear the loud voices. If we turn it off and we say, God, talk to me. Mm -hmm. Talk to me. Well, let me ask you this, Victoria, get, getting, putting things together as we've been having this convo here. Um, your dream ended up helping people in the Ukraine maybe achieve their dream, maybe just staying alive or having something to eat. So if you didn't follow through your dream, then whether you say, well, I have a dream that's kind of selfish, but if you have a dream, you also, the end result of that might be the effect that your dream has on others, the positive effect that you your dream coming true will have on others. So couldn't somebody think, okay, I, I got a dream, we'll go with this thing because I know there's going to be a lot of good I mean, is it that's sort of an intention type thing? Is that could you is that fair to say about your dream? If you if you uh, didn't follow yes, through, it's fair to say about it. I think a person may find going back to depending on where you are in your, in your life. Um, there are two questions that are very timely to ask and to know when to ask which one. If you're in a situation in life where everything seems to be going wrong, you don't want to ask what else can go wrong. You want to ask, what can I do to make it right continually? But more dangerous 
situation that I see for people is when things are going well. And when they're going well, we're terrified of success. So we are asking ourselves subconsciously, what can go wrong? <laughs> because we're so uncomfortable with things being right. And so then you shift yourself to say, how can it be even better? Because then you get out of your little bubble of how it can be better for me. And you go to how can it be even better? Until the last hungry child on this planet is fed, it can be better. And so you're driven by the same desire to make things better, not only for you, but then for everyone that you're capable to reach. Mm -hmm. So I guess I guess the the theme of my question there was if you don't you can you can you don't have to have sort of selfies intentions to follow your dream because your dream might be. A, a, a much vaster effect out there than just simply your dream coming true. And talk about programming. One of the things kind of said in the country is say like uh, the washer goes out and then um, the refrigerator goes out. We'll typically say, well, what else can go wrong at yeah. that, at that point, something, something's coming, something else is going to go wrong. So, so are you saying that we can avert that by not yeah. saying, well, what else can go wrong? Because That's right. it sounds like we're calling that into existence. So what what do we say is okay so two things going on you're frustrated you got to go find parts got to call somebody how do you not be frustrated and and how do you avoid that third well what else can calling it calling in more more, more defect troops I I think you cannot avoid being human and you cannot avoid being frustrated you can however choose the length the depth and the dedication you give to your frustration. So if you're frustrated, you're human. Congratulations. <laughs> you know, you're breathing, you're alive. I'd be really concerned if you had everything breaking in your house and you were like, isn't that beautiful? That's when you need help, you know? Okay, so stuff happened. But when it happened and you gave yourself a luxury of reaction, momentary reaction, then you get to say, okay, so I always say, you've got to ask, is there a lesson? Is there a lesson? Is there a faster way for me to learn the lesson? Because mm-hmm. usually everything that is happening to us is happening for us to learn a certain lesson. So I like to ponder, am I learning something? And is there a better, more efficient way to learn it? And then you get unstuck from patterns that otherwise repeat mm-hmm. themselves over. Mm-hmm. You can know that you're learning a lesson if you hear yourself say, man, that always happens to me. What is the one thing that you say about you? It always happens to me. Because if you say, I'm always late. Well, all it tells me is that you are learning how to work with the law of time. So instead of saying I'm always late, you can say, okay, clearly I'm learning how to operate within time. So what is the one thing I can do hmm. to work with time better today, just today? Having having that awareness to apply that at the moment doesn't seem that easy. So there must no. be smaller steps because you are talking about programming, and I'm well aware of the negative programming that's coming at us every every way that there is, and so as you think it would be easy to be negative, but they it just seems like there's a force, there's some sinister plan that you that causes people to be negative, to keep at odds with each other, do all these things, and it goes back to control. But to be get to the point where you're aware of it, and that goes goes back to what you said about being aware you're in a prison and a prison of your mind. Well, how many, of the, how many of the external forces that want you to be negative are really working in your life anyway? It seems like you just agreeing with them if you accept it, but maybe we don't have to accept it. But how do we get to that point where we recognized it quicker? I think 
a lot of us are blind to them because of the patterns of self-judgment and self-unacceptance that we've come accustomed to be. And so we don't see how ugly we are and the things that are happening to us are caused by us. And the reason we don't see our own ugliness because we don't know how to forgive it and love us and let God love us through it. We are not letting Christ be Christ. That's as direct of an answer as I can give. Mm-hmm. So you know, when he says, give me your burdens, because my burden is easy and my yoke is, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're saying, oh, no, no, thank you. I'm going to carry this one all by myself. <laughs> you, can, you can have this, this one, I got all by myself. But if we actually practice, because, you know, you, earlier you said it sounds very uh, like there's karma. Well, Christ didn't come to deny the law. He came to fulfill the law. So I actually say Christ of karma, choice is yours. Mm. Christ of karma, choice is yours. You get to choose. You really get to choose. You can you can regurgitate through all the laws, or you can choose to say, this is too heavy for me to carry. You carry it for me. You start with self-forgiveness. There's all of us, all of us are denying something that we've done, that we haven't seeked the profound forgiveness that we're carrying, all of us. So we start there, and we say, I can't forgive this to myself or to somebody else. So I'm asking you to forgive for me, and through me. That's how you apply that gorgeous law of atonement, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, yeah. So, it, it, it appears from, from uh, talking with you for a bit here that you have a, a spiritual or a faith component in there. How how do you, how did you, uh, how do you, how do you tie your faith in to the, for instance, your book and your belief system? They, are, are they seamless or are there things that are odd and you haven't really worked them out yet? It's all awareness, isn't it? To my awareness, they're seamless. I'm sure if we have a conversation a year later, I will have worked out enough of them to then say in the same denial, they're now seamless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so to my awareness, they're very seamless. But it is only because I'm yet unaware of what I'm continually working on. Um, I know who I am, and I know whose I am, and I know that everybody has a free agency to define that for themselves. And it is my job to help them do that in the most aligned way. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in the first hour when we were talking, you 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 mentioned God, and you kind of qualified it a little bit, so to, not to offend sensitivity activities of others and said or your uh, spiritual power you kind of had a qualifier in there so do oh, you... I believe that qualifier it's not not to offend anybody I believe God is a great overall designer I believe mm-hmm. that with every fiber of my being mm-hmm. I believe the name of God is I am because that's the name that he gives to Moses mm-hmm. how, and how, so yeah did you have did did you come to faith uh, in in Russia or in the United States no, um, it's both. What happened for me is I had incredible psychic abilities being born as a child, incredible intuitive abilities. And uh, at some point in my life, I was able to see an outcome for a person's life that scared me that I could see that. I didn't understand it. I didn't see it as a gift. Um, and so the fear drove me into reading the Bible three times, <laughs> beginning to end. And then I went to 17 different denominations, finding what I was seeking for. And then I traveled the world um, to find more of that. And so I've come to 
I've come to be very comfortable knowing um, who Christ is for me and knowing that I have no right to define who he is for others. Mm-hmm. You know, I have incredible Muslim clients who know who he is and who he is for them. I have incredible Hindu clients because, mm-hmm. you know, we've coined claim Christ- we, we've coined um, term I'm Christian as a label to hide behind so we don't have to love everyone. You know, that, that's that's what, so uh, am I Christian? Yes. Am I running around telling people I'm Christian? If I have to say it, if I have to say it, it means I'm not living it. And mm. isn't that sad? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how, so, so that faith component, how is that received by your clients of different faiths? With open arms. Because I'm not there to preach them. I'm there to live what I preach to myself. I'm there to love them as Christ loves them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I have an incredible group. I have a subscription group with 104 people of all denominations. And I don't have uh, people that don't believe in higher power. I don't. Because that is what I breathe. And that is what I walk. You know, So I don't have that. But... Um, all the other programs that I have, I have people of all walks of life, and they're very comfortable knowing who I am and what I believe. And when I say, Christ to karma, you get to choose, I get to t- tell it to everybody. And I have some, some most fulfilling discussions about that, because it truly is a choice, and it's a daily choice. Mm-hmm. And Christians make it as often, if not more, as Hindus do. <laughs> mm. All right. So uh, in, in your, uh, uh, I want to talk about law number 30 as we get near the end of the broadcast here, the law of synchronicities, what is that about? I love that law. It's one of my very favorite laws. Um, you have to put that law, however, with the law of trust and the law of true source, because a lot of people today are hesitant. They're seeking signs. They're waiting for a sign to move forward. And it's very different from the law of synchronicity, because the law of synchronicity says is that when you are walking the guided path, when you are in my world, when you are following God's voice, all of a sudden you'll start having signs aligning behind you. Mm. So there's a big difference between sign seeking and synchronicity of being guided. And so usually when you start seeing these beautiful synchronicities in your life, it's like the Spirit's little gift saying, you're moving in the right direction. Take a breather. You're moving in the right direction. Where do these synchronicities come from? Oh, what a great question. Um, I think everything in my world, there's also a lot of grace. I think they come from um, God's mercy and grace to help us know that we're walking on the right road. So it's sort of a light on your path. Very much so. Uh, can you differentiate between synchronicities and coincidence? I think they're one and the same. I call coincidence to be a miracle where God chooses to be anonymous. I don't remember who said it, but that I've heard it somewhere and I really loved it. And so I think it's uh, coincidence is that. I don't believe in coincidences. I think there is just a gorgeous, glorious overall design, hence the greater world designer. Mm-hmm. And we are a part of that design. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also have this one here, the law of discernment. What is that? Well, it's, it's a tough one. I think of a lot of uh, laws that are there to master in that book. The law of discernment is one of the harder ones because the first step of that is discerning 
between all the voices we're exposed to in order to find, the, as I call it, the still small voice of the spirit, the voice to hear and to heed mm-hmm. and to listen. Mm-hmm. I think discernment is very important. Um, and so it's a very powerful law. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and we're talking about voices there, synchronicities, but uh, I, and I agree that there is no such thing as coincidence. And I do certainly believe in synchronicities. I've experienced so many of them that I'm pretty adamant about that. But I'm also convinced that there's a negative voice out there that tries to trick us along, yeah. along our path. How? And I would say that that voice has got to be pretty cunning and uh, and works us over pretty good. But have you got to the place where you can discern that negative, still, small voice uh, just trying to get you off I, the path? I think we have. I think we have a gorgeous uh, tell. Uh, by their fruits, you shall know them. Mm-hmm. by their fruits and so you know I think if you you know I think all of us no matter how cunning the voice is all of us have the, I call it the light of Christ the divine inner knowing all of us know when following something that is harmful to anyone in any way mm-hmm. cannot possibly be coming from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. You know, we, now some of us listen to it and maybe numb it to the point that we barely hear it. But I don't think anyone is beyond the reach of that voice. I think people, um, can I tell you what, you know, because we're talking about deception, right? Mm-hmm. Can I yeah. tell you my understanding of deception? I think, I think deception to me is this in, is insistence on self-righteousness. Whether you're a politician who needs to be right or you're a religious zealot who needs to be right, I think when you insist on self-righteousness versus practicing a right to love and serve relentlessly, you're being Mm -hmm. deceived. Mm -hmm. And the voice that tells you, oh, go tell them you're right, go tell them. You tell me the day when you convince somebody to be following God. No, but if you love them enough, they may choose to follow all right, and then let's end, let's end it with this here, the law of forgiveness. What is that? I think it's the ultimate law, hence it's the last one. Uh, you know, one of my favorite and most profound moments that got me on a path of working with subconscious mind actually is Christ on the cross, where he mm-hmm. says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. So when somebody harms me or harms my children, Mm-hmm. Tell them, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because they're cut off from God's knowing from within. They're programmed by the situation, the circumstances, mm-hmm. maybe the abuse in their life. So forgive them. Doesn't mean you stay around them. Doesn't mean you let them harm you, but you forgive them. Mm. So I guess I got I guess I got a I got a little growing to do. I was I was going through a, the line at Menards. And I was standing there at the checkout counter, and the bag the bag started ripping. And I asked the cashier, I said, "Hey man, can you give me that? Let me have that bag underneath your counter there because it's ripping." He goes, "No, it was a paper bag, and they give them out at the as you come in." I thought, "What's the matter with him?" Now, should I have said, "Oh thou blessed soul, thank you for allowing me to drop stuff out of this ripped bag when you have a bag right there"? I mean, how how 
I don't know. I don't know, Victoria. I had a problem. I see. I got room to grow here, so I'm 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 out myself. But at least I realize we'll it. Right? Do, but we'll do. But we'll forgive our. We first forgive ourselves for that reaction. See that it oh. all goes back to when when because here's the principle: love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. all what it comes down to. We're only angry at people to the degree we're angry at ourselves, period. It's not love your neighbor more than yourself, serve them relentlessly so you can resent them for the rest of your life. And it's not love yourself way more than your neighbor so you can take advantage of them. It's love your neighbors yourself. So if you're angry at somebody, I would say you get to say, which part of me needs to be healed, loved, and forgiven? Mm. Which part of me was it so important to have that whole bag that this person took away? I mean, I'm now back at a three-year-old kid that is asking for something, right? And that part needs to be whole. It needs to be healed. It needs to be forgiven. So then we no longer care about somebody else's wounded part. Okay. Well said, well said. Okay, well, uh, Victoria Rader, we're at the end of the broadcast. Anything you'd like to say about your book or your website, you go right ahead. What you do? What I want to say, I want to say one thing, and that one thing is, if you want to start a journey of finding that wounded, scared self, we actually have a free meditation, which is actually visualizations, five minutes. And what it does, it does everything I'm talking about. It connects you to the light and love of God within your heart and teaches you to love that part that is scared. And you can find it at choosesacred.me. Hmm. Well, I don't have that link on the website. What's it called? Choose Sacred? Choose Sacred.me. And can I tell you why me? You see that little ambiguity? Yeah. Because that to me, every time I say I'm me, it's a formula of who I am as a reminder of my mortal divine experience. I am mortal matter that manifests materially. But much more importantly, I'm an eternal energy, the essence that expands. And you notice the E is big. So my whole journey in this life, Remember who I am as a child of God and surrender the struggling little am to it. That's why me. So it's truesacred.me. Nice, nice, nice. All right. Well, Victoria Reader, I really appreciate you coming on the broadcast this evening. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a blast. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I'll send you links after we edit and upload. Bye-bye. Bye.